I want you to know also that I am not crying. I <laughs> have had a cold for the last week uh, since I got back from Myanmar. And yeah, sure, sure, Steve. <laughs> I get it. And I am losing my voice, so uh, this won't be very long, I promise. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, open them to Galatians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one of these on the floor around you, and it's page 813 in this Bible. We're starting a brand new series, as Jerry said, called Our House. And for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the relationships in our lives. We all have relationships in our lives. We have relationships with friends and family, people around us. I want you to think about the relationship with your siblings, brothers and sisters, or your parents. Uh, If you're married, think about the relationship with your husband or wife. If you have children, I want you to think about your relationship with your children. And don't forget your neighbors and friends and coworkers and all those relationships. And what we're going to do over the next month is we're going to think about those relationships like rooms in a house. What does each room represent? Now, maybe in the dining room would be your family. Uh, That's the place that you gather your family around. And and there aren't a lot of strangers maybe invited to your dining room, but it's family. Or if your family's too weird, uh, maybe it's the friends that you wish were actually your family. Uh, Maybe some of you have family fantasies like I do. That right? Did I just say that? Um, Out loud. So your dining room is those those uh, those intimate friend family relationships. Or then there's there's the bedroom. You know, and the bedroom represents, you know, that one special relationship, that person that you hope to be uh, most intimate with, the person that you hope to be married to, the person that will have more influence over your life than any other person in any other room. And then there's the kids' room. If you have children, you know that that's an important relationship in your life, the relationship with your children. But maybe they represent your kids, but maybe not. Maybe you don't have kids, but maybe you have kids in your life that you want to invest in. Maybe it's a niece or a nephew. Uh, Maybe it's a foster child or it's a friend's child or it's a child you sponsor overseas. Uh, Even the kids in your classroom when you serve back in Gen Kids or in GSM. In all of those relationships, we all long for deep, lasting, meaningful relationships, right? We do, right? We We all agree that we want deep, lasting, meaningful, good relationships. All of us desire for those relationships in our life to be good, to be pleasing, to be life giving, and to be productive. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take a peek in some of these rooms and see how God's wisdom from Scripture can help us build the kind of relationships we're looking for. We're going to keep coming back to this uh, fairly short but really well-known book right in the middle of the Bible, this collection of sayings called Proverbs. Proverbs was written by a man the Bible calls the wisest man who ever lived. So if you're going to take advice from somebody, let's take advice from the wisest man who ever lived, a guy named Solomon. Now you may think, How can somebody who lived 3,000 years ago possibly understand relationships in the 21st century, right? And and I'll I'll grant you what you may find over the next month is that that culture has changed, that the environment has changed, that our circumstances have changed. But I think what we'll see as we go through this series is that, well, human nature hasn't changed, that people are people, whether they're 3,000 years ago or today. And in Proverbs 24, we find these words. It says this, by wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. I believe that God's wisdom can help us build beautiful relationships in our lives. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, just think about the relationships in your lives. Are all of them perfect? Probably not. Are there any relationships that you would say could use some improvement? 
You know, one of the things that gets me really excited about thinking about relationships as rooms is I think this opens up a whole new opportunity for HGTV shows around relationships, right? Shows like Fixer Up or Mother-in-Law Edition. You know, you, you add a new room onto your house separate from the rest of the house, right? Complete with open concept kitchen and shiplap, of course. Or Spouse Hunters, where every week one person looks at three different men or women to try to find the one person who fits all of their requirements and can stay within their budget. <laughs> or my favorite, brother versus brother versus sister versus mother versus father. Well, you get the point. My guess is that every one of us in here has some relationships that we could use uh, that could use some work, right? And so let's get after it. But before we just tear apart the whole house, uh, I want to start in a place that maybe isn't obvious to us all. We're going to talk about the front door. Now, I think we all agree that the front door is an important part of your house, right? It's how we let the right people in and keep the wrong people out. I wonder how many of you ever come home and found the front door to your house standing wide open. That happened to me just a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, I came home uh, from work, and I knew my family was gone, and the front door was open. And uh, you go, oh, what's, what's going on here? I know nobody's home. Is there an intruder in my house? What happened? So I, I walk in the house, and I have my phone in one hand. And, you know, you dial 911, but don't hit enter, you know. And you got your thumb right there. And then the only thing I could find, I had my backpack on. So I'm, like, walking around with my backpack thinking, all right, I'm going to nail somebody with a laptop if there's some stranger in my house. It's unnerving, isn't it? You come home and the front door to your house is standing wide open and there could be anybody in there and none of us would ever do that. But we do it in our lives, don't we? Most of us will allow just anybody in. We can use the front door to our lives as a way to give people the access we want to get them to give, but we don't always do that. And so to, in order to understand the importance of having a good, solid front door uh, or having good boundaries in our lives, um, I think there's something that we need to understand, and it's this. There are many relationships that are good and helpful and life-giving. They bring us joy. They build us up. They encourage us in our walk with Christ. But we all have some bad relationships, too. And uh, maybe those bad relationships look like this. Uh, your help and your efforts are not appreciated or acknowledged. That you resent the responsibilities that you agreed to take on for this person. Maybe you frequently ignore bad behavior because it's coming from them and you've just come to expect it and, and, and uh, agree with it. Maybe you sometimes feel that, uh, fearful that not doing something is going to make them anger, angry, it's going to make them blow up, it's going to make the person leave you, or maybe even result in violence, or you even lie to cover up for somebody else's mistakes. Those are bad relationships. And so while good relationships are life-giving these bad relationships can really, really suck the life right out of you. I really liked that line, and nobody seems to like that. Hmm, I guess I'm going to have to think about that next time. So the front door, the front door is all about boundaries. And in fact, the uh, book of Proverbs has some, some specific advice for three particular types of bad relationships where we really need to examine our boundaries. Now, these type relationships are not all inclusive. There are certainly others that can be included, but these are the three that we, we see mentioned in Proverbs. Maybe you can take a look at your relationships in your life and see if any of them fall into these three categories. The first category of people we need to watch out for is foolish people. 
foolish people. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. A fool is someone who continually makes bad decisions despite the consequences. Uh, They keep coming back to the well and doing the same thing over and over again. Now, this verse warns that a companion of fools suffers harm. And we've used this verse on many occasions with our kids uh, to remind them that walking with uh, people who are making bad decisions is not a good thing. And often what comes back, and maybe if you're a high school student, maybe you've used this before too, maybe you've heard this, you might say, well, mom, I know that he's making bad decisions, but just because he's making bad decisions doesn't mean I'm going to make bad decisions. In other words, just because he's a fool doesn't mean I'm going to be a fool. And there's some truth to that, but that's not what the verse says. It doesn't say, walk with a fool and become a fool. It says a companion of fools suffers harm. And when we hang out with fools, it can put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you can suffer harm. Now, does this mean you can't be friends with somebody who's caught in sin? No, but you'll want to check your boundaries. Do you want to give a foolish person access to the whole house, right? So we got to watch out for foolish people. Number two, we have to watch out for angry people. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. People who are easily angered will be the first to try to push your boundaries. They're also the most likely abusers, and they're also the least likely to admit when they're in the wrong. Right? They can also be completely normal about 90% of the time. So there's a chance that somebody looking into your life from the outside won't even see that anything's wrong. But if you're close to them, you'll know, you'll understand, you'll always see it, and it will suck the life right out of you. So we've got to watch out for foolish people. We've got to watch out for angry people. And the third type of relationship is we've got to watch out for divisive people. Proverbs 16.28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. There are some people who, and I don't understand why, but they thrive on causing division. They'd much rather point out everybody else's faults than take a look inward and see their own. They're likely able to find fault with every person, every business, and yes, I've seen it, every church. And they're often not afraid to tell anyone who will listen about those faults. And divisive people often use gossip as a weapon to form sides. If you have a divisive person or a gossip in your life, the chances are that every time you're together, you're talking about other people and their faults and their failures and their relationships. And if someone is willing to talk about others to you, how do you think they talk about you to others? Is that the kind of person you want to give full access to your life? So those are three kinds of relationships the Bible tells us we can look out for. Proverbs says we should look out for. I have a much easier test than that. I call it the parking lot test. And it's this. Let's say you pull up in a parking lot. Maybe it's a grocery store. And you see their car sitting there right next to where you park. And you know it's their car. Do you go in or not? (laughs) If you see their car and you get excited and you think, oh, so-and-so's in here. I can't wait. I'm going to go try to find them. That's a good thing. That's probably a good relationship. If you find their car and think, we can go one more day without milk. And you drive away. That's probably a life-sucking relationship, right? Easy test. Let me ask you, how many of you have at least one life-sucker in your life right now? Raise your hand. How many of you came to church with that person? No, don't raise your hand for that. (laughs) We all do, don't we? We all have at least one life-sucking person in our life. Fortunately, 
there's some scripture that can help us understand what to do with those life-sucking relationships. And it's this one I pointed you to in Galatians 6. Uh, we're going to start with verse 1, Galatians 6.1. It says this. This is kind of a long passage. We'll break it down in a minute. It says this. Brothers and sisters, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. That one is for all the teenage girls in the room right there. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, this is great instruction for setting boundaries, but we've got to break it down to see it because there's something in here that might be a little confusing. It may even sound um, a little bit conflicting to you, all right? Let me show you. Verse 2 says we should carry each other's burdens. Verse 5 says each one should carry their own load. Which is it? Do I carry your burdens or do I carry my own burdens? Do I carry my own load, right? This seems contradictory, but there's two different words that Paul uses here. And if you'll bear with me, we're going to do just a little bit of a word study. The, the word that Paul uses in, in verse 2 for burdens is the Greek word baros. And it's loosely translated as a troublesome burden. What I want you to do is think about this like someone trying to carry a boulder. Yes, this is a real boulder and it's really heavy, the rock won't move um, unless you move it. Uh, and uh, so this is, this is a kind of load that I can carry by myself for a while, but it's getting heavy. I can feel it. I can't carry it all the time by myself. This is the kind of load that Paul says that we should share with one another. This is a team lift, all right? This is the kind of thing that we need to do. Lift with your legs, not with your back. Lift with your legs, not with your back. Okay. So the word baros is the kind of load that really you need help to carry. Think about somebody who, uh, who is caught in sin, but they want to get out, all right? We should carry, help them carry their burden. Think about somebody who has grief or pain. We should help them carry their burden. That's a burden that someone shouldn't have to carry alone. Now, the word that Paul uses in verse 5, where he says each one should carry their own load, is the Greek word fortian. And fortean is usually translated as the normal cargo of a ship. In other words, it's an expected load. It's often used in the New Testament to describe the requirements that Jesus puts on his followers and contrasted with the requirements that the Pharisees put on their followers, which would be an unexpected load. And so think of, and th instead of a boulder, we can think about each person's own load. Somebody left their bagel here. Hmm. And their tea bag. It's not mine. Uh, we can think about each person's own load as being a backpack, right? A backpack is designed to be worn by one person. It's designed, it's a load designed to be carried by one person. So the trouble often comes when someone else expects us to help carry the load that they're supposed to carry for themselves. In fact, if I invited somebody up here to help me carry my backpack, well, it would just get a little awkward, right? They have to put their, their arm in this other strap, and I don't know how we walk together with that. Um, when we help some, try to help someone else carry their backpack, it's, it's awkward, it's weird. So boundaries can often help us recognize what is ours to carry and what is someone else's when someone else is not carrying their own load. 
Uh, when we give in and pick up somebody else's backpack, what we do is we create a life-sucking relationship. Boundaries can help us recognize what is ours to help carry and what is someone else's to carry on their own. And it's possible that if you feel weighed down, it's because you've been carrying backpacks that belong to someone else, that they should be carrying themselves. And boundaries, good boundaries in your life, a good front door can help turn that around. They can give these life-sucking relationships a shot at becoming life-giving. So the question is, how do we set good boundaries in our lives? Well, there's three steps. I've included these in your notes if you want to follow along. Number one is this. Set it down. Set it down. Somebody else's expected load is not your load to carry. We all have a certain normal and expected responsibilities, our backpacks that we can't hand off to someone else. The first step when we realize we've been carrying someone else's backpack is to set it down. Uh, when you encourage the other person in this and you, you give them back their load and you say, you can do this, like you can do this, you can, you can encourage them in that. When you do that, you're taking the step, first steps forward towards breaking a dangerous codependent cycle. Now, they may not be happy about this. They might fight back if they're angry people. They might get angry with you. If they're gossipy people, they might talk about you behind your back. Um, but it really is the best for them, and it's life-changing for you. In his groundbreaking book, uh, Boundaries, Dr. Henry Cloud writes this. He says, when we begin to set boundaries with people we love, a really hard thing happens. They hurt. They may feel a hole where you used to plug up their aloneness, their disorganization, or their financial irresponsibility. Whatever it is, they will feel a loss. If you love them, this will be difficult for you to watch. But when you are dealing with someone who is hurting, remember that your boundaries are both necessary for you and helpful for them. If you have been enabling them to be irresponsible, your limit setting may nudge them toward responsibility. So we have to be able to set it down when we're carrying somebody else's load. But it's not enough to set it down. The second thing we have to do is this. We have to speak up. We have to say something. The next practical step is to speak up. Perhaps in this relationship, you've, been, you've tried to be quiet because you've been trying to keep the peace in the relationship. This can be especially true if the person tends to become angry or, or despondent when they're confronted. But we have some direction about how to speak up. Should we be like Frank Costanza and say, I got a lot of problems with you people? That's probably not the best way to go. Instead, um, let's take our cue from Scripture. Ephesians 4.15 says this, Instead... I think what Paul's writing is, instead of Frank Costanza airing the grievances, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, this verse is often used, often quoted by Christians. It's often misused by Christians to hurt others. I've heard people talk in ways that are forceful and blunt, and they cover it up by saying, hey, I'm just speaking the truth in love. Uh, no, you're not. You're a bully. Like, you're being hateful, as my grandmother would say. You might be speaking the truth because of love, right? I love that person, so I'm going to tell them the truth, but you are not speaking the truth in love. We need to speak the truth in love, meaning our heart has to be for that person, right? We have to be for them. We have to want them to win. We have to, we're setting a healthy boundary because we are for them. We desire them to have success and to do well in life. We're setting boundaries in hopes of reconciliation of that relationship. 
So rather than just pointing out a fault and saying, you're mean, uh, you might say something like, you know, you sometimes use harsh words that hurt me. I want you to know that I'm going to be telling you about those in the future. And if you continue to use those words, it might be hard for us to keep in this relationship. Or if someone is, uh, is drinking too much, instead of saying, you're a drunk, what you might say is, your once casual drinks have turned into a severe problem. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about the effect that it's having on our relationship. And I think you ought to seek help. Right? We're speaking the truth in love. Boundaries call us to speak the truth in love. And so we gotta, we got to set it down. we got to speak up. And the third action is we got to follow through. Because one conversation is not going to handle it. Uh, even when we speak the truth lovingly, it may not always be received well. It's likely not the last conversation you're going to have to have about this. Old habits die hard. And so it's important that you keep revisiting the situation. It's also important that you keep going back to the boundary that you've set in place or you'll find yourself right back where you started. Boundaries can tend to move over time. Right? We start to build trust in somebody. We start to see that the process is working and we kind of let it inch forward and inch forward and inch forward and then all of a sudden we're back where we started and it's not working anymore. So we got to follow through. It's also important to continue those conversations. Don't just assume that because your next interaction is a good one, oh, problem solved, right? You need to keep coming back to it. And it might be painful and it might feel like it's redundant, but I promise, I promise people can change. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've experienced, I've seen painful and toxic relationships become life-giving. And yours can too. Let's remember why this is important. Proverbs 24 again says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. I think we all want our relationships to be like rare and beautiful treasures, right? And as difficult as it may be to set the kind of boundaries we've been talking about, they can be a path for these life-sucking relationships to be transformed into life-giving ones that are rare and beautiful treasures. And all that's true, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, even if you're here and you don't follow Christ, even if you're here and you're just checking us out, that advice about boundaries is good for you. It's useful for you. But Christians in the room, let's don't forget the whole reason that we can have speaking the truth in love, the whole reason that we can offer grace to others in the times that they needed is because of the way that God extended grace to us when we needed it most. Romans 5 reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that he didn't wait for us to make the first move that God made the first move. In fact, it says that we are freely justified through faith and we have peace through Jesus Christ. That that in fact, that we were once enemies of God, but because of his grace and his love, we have a life-giving relationship with God through his grace. And the only reason that we can experience reconciliation with God is because God is a reconciler and because God has poured out his grace on us. And as we follow him and we're transformed to be more like him, we can become people who extend grace to one another. But if we're going to do that, what it means is we've got to be able to surrender our desires in all these relationships. We've got to be able to to give our heart completely and totally over to him. And as we do that, we can become people who extend grace. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful for wise words. And as I look at relationships in my life, uh, I have so many good relationships. And then there's some that need work. And Lord, I imagine that everybody in this room is in that same camp. And so 
would you help us this week um, as we go our go our own ways and we go into work or go to school or do the things that we have to do, would you help us to look at those relationships and to set boundaries where they're needed, to set good boundaries, to have a solid front door and do it in a way where we're speaking the truth in love and we're continuing to follow up with those things. God, help us not to carry anything that we don't need to carry, but to share burdens where we can. Lord, we're gonna need your wisdom and your discernment to do that. We praise you and we thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name.